Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with author Nick Brown to talk about his new memoir, Bang Bang Crash. Nick, thanks for being here with me today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Could you start by talking a little bit about um, why you decided to write this memoir um, at this time? Well, there are two, I mean, in the largest sense, in the book, I, you know, I, I'm a little bit weird about my past as a musician, and I get awkward around the topic, and I have, for a long time, not been able to figure out why. And if I've learned anything as a writer, it's that if something is weird and awkward, it's usually probably something interesting to write about, too. So that was always sort of like, you know, hovering around this topic. And then there was one um story about my musical career that sort of people would always ask me to tell and it was a good story and I thought well I gotta write this down this needs to be an essay and I started on that and it took me 10 years to write the essay and it was really long and my agent was like this isn't an essay this is a book you know and so I cut I turned that into an essay as I realized I was trying to write about my life now my life as a musician and all sorts of thoughts about art and identity, all in one quote-unquote essay. So the book project itself sort of more specifically expanded from that. And that essay is in the middle of the book about a band that I was in called Falcon that sort of was a real transition point for me where I really went from drumming to writing. Right. And and you start, like you said, you don't like to talk about yourself as a musician and you kind of, I mean, that's one of these themes through this book. This isn't this, I mean, we read a lot of memoirs of musicians or memoirs of writers and those musicians talking about their love of music and really wanting to talk about that. But you are kind of get to a point where you're like, yeah, this is just not make, it's not cutting it for me anymore. And it's this one, this thing where you are really um, throughout the essays and throughout the book, you're really sort of, wrestling with that that's for sure going on you know i mean there's one way to look at it you know or this is the way i think of it sometimes is like less about a divide between drumming and writing but sort of just a continuum of me working in the arts you know and so if i think about it that way like my drumming was when i was working like as a crew person for another person's play, you know, and like my writing, all of a sudden now I'm the playwright, you know? And so in that way, like I I do see it as sort of a continuum and 
you know, you can see why I wouldn't necessarily want to go back to being a crew member. But of course, that isn't completely what drumming is about. And it's, it's much more complicated than that. And yeah, I mean, I still, you know, what's interesting is I wrote this whole book sort of exploring my ambivalence about my musical past. Um, and I'm not sure I came up with a great answer. You know, I, I got into a lot of interesting questions, but um, I love music. You know, I love drumming. I think about it all the time. So it's not, it's not like I'm um, ambivalent about caring about sort of the magic of music and especially about the magic of the experiences I had as a musician. It's, it's these other questions about identity and, um, and art that, I mean, that's sort of where I found myself dwelling. And and you so you sort of sort of situate us too in being part of this music scene in the early nineties and, and what brought you there. And so you have is it thirteen different oh no, it's more than that's sixteen, right? Sixteen kind of different pieces in the book. And so you you bring us through your life, you give us sort of snippets as when you're younger, um, as well as when you are performing as a professional musician. So can you talk a little bit maybe about let's start with uh, you know we don't have to go through every single one but some of the the things that you saw and that you wrote about when you were just sort of thinking back to your start as a drummer and your start in this before it became a career your start in music sure well you know when i was thinking about my start as a musician i and i'm sure lots of musicians think back to really you know an important teacher and i wrote about a teacher that i had that was I mean just I I mean even at the time I knew I was lucky to have him but looking back it's like oh my god I, I did the jackpot with this guy just totally changed my life as well as a whole bunch of students of his in Greensboro at the time so I knew I was going to write about that and um you know I my uh first band which formed in middle school and was in and I played in through high school as you know ended up signing a big record deal and that was my first big success but when i was first writing out the drafts for the essays you know i found myself really lingering on the complicated questions and struggle that i had around some of the topics and my friend darren who's a drummer he's the drummer in ben Folt's five and he's one of my closest friends and he's useful to talk to about <laughs> this stuff because he's super smart too and he said nick you know, you got to write about what's great about music, too. And I thought, oh, yeah, I mean, it's so obvious. So when thinking about my early career, it was important for me to try to find a way to write about what was most thrilling about being a musician. It took me a while to sort of figure out how to do that. And so the, um, the first, I think it's the first uh, chapter in the book after the introduction is a piece where I try to capture that excitement of being a musician with your friends right before you have success because things change once you're successful you know and i realized looking back like the best part you know it's sort of like in regard to your dreams coming true was that moment right before it all came true you know and then because then once it comes true it's now you're looking for another dream and so early music career in this book i wanted to capture that thrill i wanted to look at the importance of my my drum teacher Pete and um, the influence he had on me and 
the complications that, you know, I'm sort of still reckoning with from that relationship. And um, yeah, so that was, I guess I would describe that as what I looked at in the book in regard to my early career. Right. And you have this career, you know, you, you said, you know, thinking about finding that, like what you love about music. And it's interesting. I'm reading a book right now by a songwriter and it talks about this kind of idea that um, when you're a songwriter, when you're not that like lead singer, you're not in, in charge of the, you know, you're not in the forefront and everybody sees you in the band. It's this very different relationship to music, to the band, to what that means. And, and that kind of comes through with, in some of the ways you talk about drumming and being a drummer, right? That people don't, it, the musician, the singer can go and sing a song somewhere, but nobody at one point you talk about, nobody wants to hear someone just play the drums, right? Um Unless, like, as I said to you before, unless you're like a parent of somebody who's playing drums all the time. But right. So could you talk a little bit about that, too? Like toying with that idea of what it means to be a musician, but be a rhythm musician in the band. Right. And and and, and kind of how that plays out in some of these pieces in your work. Yeah. Well, you know, as a drummer, I was never tortured with the desire to be, quote unquote, more than a drummer. Right. I don't sing well. I don't play a melodic instrument. I. I'm not a songwriter and we all know, and of course there are lots of jokes about the drummer who, you know, there's the classic, you know, what's the last thing a drummer says to his band? Let's try one of my songs. You know, I never fell into that punchline because I just loved, honestly, just loved playing the drums. You know, that's the instrument I wanted to play and I played it and it was very uncomplicated for me in that way. And I was, and am, you know, I'm a good drummer and I was good at working in bands, you know, I mean, I showed up on time, I learned the parts, (laughs) I can read a chart, I'm not a drug addict, you know, the bar's pretty low, I, I, you know, I, 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 I got a lot of work because of that. And so I wasn't, I didn't have this desire to be on the front of the stage. But the other part of that is the, it was very rare that I'd be working as a drummer on an artistic project, or in a band that I felt like was just right in line with what I was interested in doing artistically, you know? And so those are two different things. Like I was very good working with musicians and making songs sound great, but I just always, I wasn't always in the band that I wanted to be in, you know? I mean, I, I'm not sure anybody really is. I mean, I was a few times, but, um, then when I started writing, I realized like, oh, this is the band I want to be in. Like I can make all the artistic choices, you know, as a musician, there's a lot of time you spend just being embarrassed of being yourself. You know what I mean? Like you got to go do stupid stuff. You got to go on skiing, you know, and that's part of the deal. That's part of what's great about it. And in one way, like as soon as I started writing, I realized like, oh, I don't have to do anything. I'm that's like, I feel embarrassed to do like I, and so in that way, it was immediately intoxicating artistically because it could just be what I wanted it to be. Um, And so, you know, that's a profound difference between the two forms, but also I think the real reason why I found myself, you know, I was going to say more satisfied with writing, but in a way it's not missing the drums as much as I would have guessed I would have once I stopped working as a drummer. Right. And you talk about, about that too, that idea of like when you finally decide, like, and maybe could you talk a little bit about like when you finally decide, like, you 
or or maybe give in to that idea that I'm going to write how that relationship with your drums and drumming changed because that appears too throughout these essays. Well, you know, it took me a long time to realize that I'd quit playing drums. <laughs> I'd moved to Iowa to go to grad school and you know, which is the death knell for any music career and um sorry. And uh you know, I it I in my mind I was just a drummer who wrote, you know? And um I realized after a while that I was actually somebody who'd quit working with the bands that I was working with on the other side of the country. And um I don't know. The the big surprise to me was just that I didn't miss it. I never missed playing drums. I never I mean that's hyperbole. I miss working with my friends who are talented musicians, but I'm like, oh man, I couldn't believe it that I just like, I didn't miss being on stage, any of that stuff. It, um, the writing just sort of satisfied all that. One of the other things you do in the book that I wanted to, you know, talk, have you talk about a little is that uh, two of your pieces are more photo essays, right? So one about your drums themselves and one about musicians that you played with. And so can you talk a little bit about those photo essays and the choice to include those um, in your work? So when I was thinking about writing this book, I didn't have a guide of another memoir written by a musician that really spoke to me in a craft level around the same sort of thing that I wanted to do. I, I have a hard time reading memoirs by musicians, honestly, because um, it just gets all complicated with work for me. You know what I mean? I, it's, um, I, I think I, I have a lot more hangups reading those books maybe than others, but I read a book uh, called um, Swimming Studies by Leanne Shapton. And Leanne Shapton is an artist and, um, She's also a former competitive swimmer, very successful as a young woman. You know, she was like number eight in Canada at the Olympic trials, which is amazing, but also like, okay, well, you're number eight. You know, you didn't make the team. I think of it like, you know, me. Yeah, I was a drummer. I was successful. You don't remember me. You probably don't remember my band, but I did it for real. It was a real thing. And so in a way I saw in her writing about her relationship with swimming, a real parallel with my relationship with drumming. So that her book helped me a lot in just seeing a model of how to approach that type of topic. And more specifically, since she's an artist, she, um, you know, well, in her case, uses a lot of watercolors, incredible art in her book. And um, I teach a class where I always encourage my students to copy the form of another writer. And so I started doing that really as a homework assignment with my students. And that's how I ended up with those two photo essays, which were really just directly inspired by um, things I'd seen Leanne Shapton do. Right. So, and so you sort of tell us a little bit about like who you were, this coming to writing, um, but you also have, you know, I want to talk about some of the stories that you have in there. You mentioned your band Falcon and that piece. And I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that piece um, and <laughs> sort of how, how that band came to be in the story behind that, which I found absolutely hilarious. <laughs> In the well, it is hilarious. <laughs> and it, that is the story that I reference. That you know, 
I, my friends do know about and they'll, you know, students every now and then will get wind of this and will ask for the story. But I mean, the short version is that in New York, I was working as a sideman for a lot of real acts. And there was one side band that was not important. It was just for fun. Of course, that was my favorite band. I mean, I, I think that band is great. But since I was the writer, you know, well, this was before I was working as a writer at all. But since everybody knew I was into writing, my job was always writing the band bios. And for Falcon, since the band bio didn't matter because we weren't a quote unquote real band, I made it up. And it was a ridiculous story to my mind about us being the tribute band to a young songwriting prodigy, a child who died years before. And we found his old songs and brought them back to life, which honestly, I thought everyone would think was hilarious. And quickly, I realized everyone thought it was true. And which was sort of a hellish discovery. And, um, you know, the the interesting sort of takeaway from that, though, for me was that it was in a way the first success I had as a writer was writing that bio and realizing that people thought it was this incredible story. You know, I mean, I got a call from the New Yorker who thought it was real and the Village Voice and NPR and I mean, Entertainment Weekly. And, I, you know, it's hard. To, it was crazy sort of the fallout from that but now the takeaway is like yeah that was that was my first success as a writer and that band is great and actually i mean i just got an email from those guys about three minutes before we started this uh this interview we have some new music that believe it or not we are working on again so i'm not completely out of the game (laughs) oh i it was yes i in reading that, I was like, this is the best. And and the fact that people believed it made it even a better story. To yes, it was horrible, though, because I did not want to fool anybody. And then we let it get out of hand before we even knew it was getting out of hand. You know, luckily, that band didn't have, you know, enough success for it to ever be like a problem. But in my mind, there are just a million fake band bios, you know? I mean, there's like, what were the stakes? Who cares, you know? Like, everybody knows people make up their band bios. At the time, I remember, like, I remember the day I was writing that bio, somebody had been joking about how Jack White and his wife, you know, and the White Stripes were telling everybody that they were brother and sister. And I was like, oh, that's hilarious, you know? And that, like, oh, okay, I'll just make up another ridiculous story. But um, it got a little out, little out of hand. So are there other, I mean, there's many stories to her, but are there other stories that you, um, that you want to talk about right now or highlight or, you know, that really sort of were something that you were, ex- I don't know if excited to return to or think about as the right phrasing? Yeah, I mean... In a way, writing about my very first band, Athenaeum, was probably the most interesting and in a way exciting thing because that was probably the act I'd been sort of like hiding from and running from my whole life. You know, uh, Mark, the singer of that band, who I'm still really tight with, uh, told me that um, when I think about Athenaeum, it's like when people look at like, uh, pictures of themselves as middle schoolers that is just like you're like oh that I can't like I'm gonna hide this photo and he's right he's also literally right in you know, in the way that like I was in middle school you know there are photos of me from middle school in that band I was the youngest guy in the band when we first started but um you know it was interesting to find a way to write about being in that band 
Um, and in, I mean, in a bigger way to find a way to write about doing something important with my best friends when I was a kid, you know, and whatever that case is, that can be hard to write about, especially when it's a true story and you have to get back in touch with people and do some fact checking. And so that was sort of heavy and interesting and sort of exciting. And it wasn't, you know, I don't dig up any insane skeletons from, from my past or anything, but it was just sort of cool to go back to some of that material and to, to reconnect with those guys in a way. I mean, in a way to have an excuse to, you know, because like now we have a chance to talk with each other about that time and to go play a reunion show and stuff. So, you know, that, that was cool. Yeah, so that that is perfect because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you is um, how you kind of researched and thought about this book, right? I mean, I think often people think you write a memoir and it's just you sit down and you just write it. But there's a lot more to that. And so that was one of the questions like thinking about um, choosing the points in which to sort of dive in and and research. And so can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, I mean, in a way, a lot of it was, I didn't have to do a lot of research in the way that, you know, I would have if I was doing a, you know, magazine assignment on basket weaving or something, you know, I mean, a lot of it was like, just drafting out memories, and then getting, figuring out which ones were going to make the cut, you know. And so I reached out to people, I talked to people. But like, I guess, you know, fact checking was in a way one of the most interesting parts for me because I approached it in this way. I wrote these essays and tried to get it right without, <laughs> without doing a ton of research beforehand and then would send them out to the people who were in them to have them fact check them, which is a way of like preparing your side of the conversation for like nine months before the other person gets to respond. And uh, it worked out. I mean, in, in an interesting way, you know, I just sort of liked figuring out what I wanted to talk about with some of these people from my past. But, you know, I, I guess like one part of the research was one of the final chapters in the book, really. Because once I started writing this book, I realized that we needed to have a final scene and the classic final scene had to be a reunion show with my band from childhood, which is very sort of like, um, uh, what's the word? I mean, you can read that as being very sort of renegade or like, I don't know, like that I'm just like out there to use this, you know, real life for my purposes, which in a way, I guess I was, but it was much bigger than that. And I realized, of course, I wasn't just doing that show and to create a final scene for my book. But um, in my mind, when I was sort of laying things out, that was the biggest research component that I needed was to go report on what it was like to play music again with those old friends. And it was awesome. Right. And you talk, it's interesting because you also talk about playing music with your daughter, right? And yeah. sort of that, like, and, and having kind of a different relationship with music as um, a parent and, and kind of that situation. So could you talk a little bit about that and, and that kind of relationship with music? Yeah. Well, just in the past handful of years, 
as you mentioned, I've had a daughter who was taking piano lessons and I played with her some. And then, you know, I'm a professor here in Clemson and I had a friend who teaches music here and has used me as a accompanist for his jazz band at the local technical college. And of course, like those are very, very, very different experiences than being an in-demand, you know, session musician. And beforehand, I thought it was going to be all sort of like benevolence on my part, you know, giving back, like I'm giving my great gift of drumming back to the community. And uh, that wasn't what that <laughs> those experiences were like. Um, it was different and a lot better, honestly, you know, through I write in the book about my experience playing with my daughter and helping kids out with music lessons and playing with these this local college group that um, it was really a gift like for me, not for them uh, to find a really profound way to actually connect with the community, especially in a small, conservative, rural, southern, you know, uh, town. Artistic connections can feel even more profound, you know. And so um, I've taken a lot away from from playing music now, even though I still don't play music often. But it's, yeah, it's a very different thing. It's all just about being with people and helping out. So I have to ask too, so you you know, you have this book about writing and being a musician and being a drummer, and then you have an essay on tennis. Yeah. <laughs> so, which I really kind of loved. Um, and because it was not only about, you know, it was about playing tennis, but it was also about you talking with your friend about his experience playing against you. And, and this. so can you talk about this, your tennis and your tennis essay? Yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> You're right. It sounds like it has nothing to do with. It, but it know, does have everything to do. It, like, right. It was like, it felt like I'm like, we're going into tennis, but I'm like, it works. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I had a friend, I have a friend, his name is Trip Phillips and he's a tennis player. And we sort of, our careers paralleled each other very closely. He was very successful. Albeit he's a double specialist. So sort of like being a drummer, like you don't know Trip Phillips. You might have seen him on like the undercard on the double semifinal after an important, you know, but like, and he's a world-class tennis player. And we were friends when we were both sort of coming up and then we both changed our careers at the same time. And so I do think of him in a, a parallel way to me in regard to dealing with sort of excellence as a young man in something and then moving away from it. But what I write about in the book was when I really stopped playing drums, I I got totally obsessed with tennis. And I, I don't think it's an, an, a coincidence. There's something about the the physical demands of repetitive practice that was very, very satisfying to me. And the minutia, the technical minutia, and so I see parallels in that. And I guess what made sense to me in the book to write about it is I was interested in this book uh, uh, in what happens to an artist once you take that art form out of their life. And that time also when I got really obsessed with tennis was when I hadn't started to have success as a writer yet. And in my mind, sort of my artistic life was over, you know, at least professionally. I'd keep plugging away at it. You know, it might work out. 
Um, and that was a struggle, you know, that was a, that was so hard. Um, and tennis <laughs> entered that void. And so, you know, the, in the essay, I've challenge this professional tennis player to an actual tennis match in which of course I lose as badly as you could ever lose but um it was an exploration of me sort of in what I did at that time in my life when I had a void and what sort of you know what got sucked into that vacuum and in my case it was tennis (laughs) (laughs) so in writing this and thinking about this and, you know, you talk about this idea of um, this way of sort of working in the arts and being the arts. Um, she, are you of that mindset that you would have found writing somehow, right? Like writing or, or writing sort of found you, you know, or are, is, was writing just there at the right time for you? You know, my interest in writing really arose around the same time as drums and i feel i mean in a way the writing might be more inevitable you know um and uh i just i I always loved reading as with a lot of us you know i had one great transformational high school english teacher and um i when i was on tour there's a lot of downtime you know what I mean? And I filled it up with reading a ton. I mean, I w- if you came backstage with me, it was not a rock and roll, you know, like uh, scene of debauchery. It was me like reading. But the thing is, a lot of those guys like, you know, I remember bands I was on tour with. They'd come back and find me reading, you know, Faulkner and like get into deep conversations about literature. A lot of those musicians were big time readers. So like, in a way, the music gave me a lot of time to write. And so when I was young, I was interested in, in writing and music. I was successful young as a musician. And the other thing that did for me was make me feel like, oh, the arts are a perfectly viable thing to like go into. Like writing makes perfect sense. I mean, I remember thinking like, oh, the great thing about writing is like it does, uh, you know, a 45-year-old uh, first time novelist is like a young novelist, you know, like this thing has more legs than drumming. So uh, I I think maybe I, I had less barriers up around pursuing writing as an art form because of music. Um, but if I never had success as a musician and never had success as a writer artistically, I feel pretty confident I would end up being an English teacher. Um, you know, that seems like in a way the most comfortable role for me. And so, and I always sort of saw myself as that at some point. And that's, you know, I work as a professor now too. So I never saw myself as like a music teacher. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's an interesting question. They're definitely paralleled and mixed up, but, um, they were both there from the start. Yeah, and I have to, I mean, you bring up that idea of like, you would probably be a, an English teacher, right? But one of the other things um, 
that I appreciate about your memoir is this idea of, or, or, or showing that there are multiple paths to get to where you, to get to your destination, right? That you don't need to, um, if you want to go on the path of going to school, that doesn't need to happen like right away, right? You can sort of weave your way into that and find, and, and it might take some time to find that space, but that's okay, right? And you kind of talk through what that means. Yeah. Well, and, you know, more specifically, in my case, I didn't go to college for five years out of high school because, you know, I was playing playing music and, um, oh, that was so great for me. I mean, I can't believe I got in that I could go <laughs> when I could finally go. That I write about how great it was that that worked out. But, um, you know, I talk about that with my students a lot. You know, I mean, that's the time of life to explore some of these, you know, quote unquote, sort of riskier, you know, career choices or interests. Uh, but like, I, you know, I'm sure you know, a, a ton of musicians that are like this, which is like, when I think about the people who are successful as musicians, and also as writers, it's not the artists who are most talented. It's the people who actually did it. Who the band didn't break up. They just kept doing it for another, you know, like six years. And like, oh my God, did you hear Jim got a record deal? And same with the writing. Like I can think of so many writers who are better writers than than I am or a bunch of my friends, but like, you know, they quit writing because they have a, like a family and a job and they were like, they screw this. I'm going to live like a normal person. So I don't know, maybe, I mean, I, I do think it's good that I, I get to, teach young people about art because I can talk to them about that sort of you know my coach brown pep talk like stick with it kids and it can happen but every path artistically takes a long time especially with writing um you know I mean I, I do believe good writing rises to the top but there's you know it takes a long time to make that happen that's okay and I have to I'm just gonna like bottle that up right I have to say that like that's one of those things I often hear with students um well I don't have time to do it now. I'll do it later. Right. I'm going to find the perfect time to do it and then I'll do it. Right. And, and what your memoir does too, is kind of challenge that. Like that idea is like you, there's not a, per and I'm always like, you have more free time in college than you'll have in your entire life. They're like, no, I won't. No, I won't. And then I get these, I get these messages going, you were right. Right. But, but that idea, like there is no perfect time. So it's like, like you're saying, like you have to just keep at it in that repetitiveness. And you kind of show that with how sort of writing and drumming in the arts is important to just always sort of be doing it. Yeah. And, you know, I do write in the book about my sort of crazy sleep schedule that I, uh, start at some point where I just start going to sleep super early so I can wake up, you know, before dawn and start writing. I saw this documentary once where there was like, you know, it's like a boxer. He looked great. And he was like boxing in the morning. It was dark and he would do it every morning. And I'm like, I'm going to be like that guy, you know? And of course I'm like, it's the exact opposite of me, like calmly, like deleting one comma at a time. But um, it did inspire me to just start working every morning like a like an athlete, you know, and that did not result in immediate <laughs> in immediate success. But, you know, I will say that it 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 created a lot of momentum for my writing and made writing, especially my first two books when I was, was working real jobs. And, you know, I had to write around a nine to five and a family. It created that space. And I miss those hours, actually. Like, I miss 
I mean, it sounds crazy, but I, I miss waking up at five and like feeling panicked to write, you know, it's like, I hated that job that I had for a long time. And I, you know, it was like the worst escape plan possible was to write a book of short stories to get, to get out of a job, <laughs> you know, like it's not going to work, but I was like, this is going to work. And it did. So I, I do sort of miss that pressure that thrill of sort of that desperation of those early hours when I was cranking away. But it is right. It's all about that practice, though, and where you find it. I, my um, friend, my dear friend and colleague, um, and the, uh, one of our creative writing professors talks about. She's like those morning pages for her. Like she's like, I still get up. She's like, that's the time before the kids are up. Like I just sit there, handwrite my three morning pages with the dog, and that just gets me started. Like creating that, carving that space of practice for yourself. Well, yeah, and then you're thinking about it all day. You know, because like for me, then I'm writing all day long and I'm not waiting for inspiration. So, yeah, I, 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 I agree with your colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, we could probably talk about this kind of we could talk about your book for a long time, but um, we've been talking for a while. So um, are there things are there? Um, it's coming out in the end of February. So mm-hmm. are there things that are going on with this um, with this book or are you working on any other projects? I'll ask that sort of final question that I usually ask, like what's going on with this that you want to promote or other projects that you're working on that you sort of want to promote and put out there? Well, you know, as I mentioned briefly earlier, the one of the groups I write about in the book, Falcon, um, has recorded a new, you know, batch of songs that we're putting out right around the same time that the book comes out. And so that's super exciting. And, you know, is also going to be interesting. I haven't put out new music in a long time. Uh, and then uh, I've also been working on a companion podcast for the book, which takes, um, you know, at, you've read the book. Each chapter is sort of centered around a central idea. And in the podcast, um, I take that idea and expand it. And in each episode, talk to two other famous drummers about that question. So, you know, the first episode is me talking with uh, the drug Charlie Hall from the War on Drugs and uh, my friend Darren from Benfolds Five. I was talking about like what's most embarrassing about being a drummer, you know, and sort of like digging into that question. Uh, so that podcast is going to come out around the same time and, um, you know, it'll just be a handful of episodes digging into some of these questions, but those are the two related, you know, projects that'll be popping up starting in late February, 2023. And, um, and I don't know exactly what my next writing project is going to be. I, you know, I have some things that I'm working on, but, uh, this has taken up a lot of my time right now and I'm just sort of letting it <laughs> which is always a good thing well Nick thanks so much for talking with me Nick Brown whose um, new memoir Bang Bang Crash will be out in February 2023 thanks for being with me on New Books Network thank you for having me that was great <laughs>